on episode 616 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Ellen Langer and discuss her book, The Mindful Body, Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 616. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Coach Allen. I'm an NASM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, performance enhancement, and fitness nutrition. A precision nutrition level one coach, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. Each week, I'm joined by our co-host, Coach Rachel. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. It's that time of year again. We drift in with the pumpkin fracho whatevers, hit the Halloween candy hard, then comes Thanksgiving, the Christmas parties and feasts, roll into New Year's, and we're completely off track on our health and fitness goals. It's so frustrating to watch the ground we covered during the year get completely washed away by a few indulgences during the holidays. But don't give in and don't give up. Join me for the Crush the Holidays Challenge at 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. This 35-day challenge runs from November 20th through December 24th. You'll have the accountability, support, and guidance you need to stay on plan and not lose ground like you may have in the past. You'll get daily support from me and be surrounded by like-minded people in our private Facebook group. There will be plenty of fun challenges and games to get and keep you moving forward on your health and fitness goals. Don't let the holidays derail you. Crush the holidays with the Crush the Holidays Challenge at 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. That's 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. Hey, Raz, how you doing? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. It's um, good. interesting times. We um, we had a shoe and uh, leash thief last night. Came That's up on so our weird. patio. Yeah, came up <laughs> on our patio. Um, we allowed our dogs to chase them off, but mm -hmm. uh, lost a couple pairs of shoes and a couple of uh, leashes for our dogs. My goodness. So just, just weird. Yeah. But, um, you know, I guess... Um, he needed leashes. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> he, actually wore, he actually wore my shoes off the patio. He took oh. his shoes off. He put my shoes on. Um, but we did get an umbrella out of it because when the dogs chased him off, he didn't have the time to pick it up. So, Oh, my um, <laughs> gosh. Well, that's an odd trade, but okay. Yeah, yeah sure. Get, just drop your umbrellas off and um, we'll leave <laughs> old shoes out there. Uh, although Tammy lost a pretty nice pair, so that was not mm. cool. But... It in and, and the leashes, but again, it's just you know, it's kind of one of those things. You just you just kind of at the end have to laugh about it because it's that silly. Um, mm. How are things up there? Good, crazy. Over the weekend, um, we had a race over the weekend. It was called our Cal Crusher, and it's a thirty-hour event. So 
you do a roughly a five mile loop in our little town and um, you can come and go as you please go have breakfast, come back, go sleep in your bed at night, come back. You, you just do whatever you feel like doing. So we were running laps quite a bit. I think I got in, I got in 45 miles. I got seven laps with the group. And then um, I also participated in our local Java jog. Our coffee shop has a 5k race. So I added a few extra miles with them. Um, I walked that with my mom and my brother and nephew. But the fun part about the Java jog is that they have coffee at the aid stations. <laughs> so it was it was wonderful, except we got totally soaking wet. It rained all weekend. The temperatures were in the 30s and 40s. It was crazy freezing. And then, as you can see, I'm in a tank shirt now. It's going to be 70 today. <laughs> so, so we're back at it, just running and walking and trying to loosen up after a, a weekend of lots of miles. But and just the crazy weather fluctuation. So with, with the weather, crazy. keep your keep your stress level down. <laughs> yes. uh, take some vitamin D, take some things to lots. improve your overall um you know, immune system function, yeah, uh, yeah. stay away from sick people. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's because a lot the weather of changes really do kind of mess with your, your whole body and its ability mm -hmm. to fight these things. And so um, as that weather changes, you're, you're, you're a little off kilter and it's just yeah. easier for you to get infected. Um, and with colds all the miles, don't cause colds, yeah. but it's just, right. you know, <laughs> right. when the temperature changes drastically and yeah, you're stressing your body. Uh, those are those are opportunities. The, body, that's the, for sure. the whole coffee at aid station uh, is, <laughs> is just a little bizarre. I don't know how many times I've seen someone run up to an aid station, grab a cup, and throw it on themselves. Uh, um, right. <laughs> well, it was it was clearly marked between water and coffee. Yeah, water please. in the little Dixie cups and coffee in the little styrofoam cups, but or the thicker paper cups. But yeah, yeah, it was really a treat. He had yeah. um, two different kinds of coffee. I want to say Guatemalan and I'm drawing a blank on the other coffee out there. So it was, it was more a, a treat than anything. Yeah. So super fun. Well, cool. Cool. Are you ready to talk about uh, mindfulness and sure. um, how all this stuff works? Yeah. Our guest today is the first woman to be tenured in psychology at Harvard, where she is still a professor of psychology. The recipient of three Distinguished Science Awards, the Author W. Stott Award for Unifying Psychology, the Guggenheim Fellowship, and the Liberty Science Genius Award. She is the author of 12 books, including the international bestseller, Mindfulness, as well as The Power of Mindful Learning, Counterclockwise, and On Becoming an Artist. Her trailblazing experiments in social psychology have earned her inclusion in the New York Times Magazine Year of Ideas issue. She is known worldwide as the mother of mindfulness and the mother of positive psychology. With no further ado, here is Dr. Ellen Langer. Dr. Langer, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you, Ellen. So today we're going to talk about your book, Mind The Mindful Body. Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. Now, obviously, that subtitle as a health and fitness guy is going to get my attention. Uh, we don't usually see those two words uh, put together. We see chronic illness. We see oh, chronic right. this and chronic that. And as we get into our 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s and all, we we see the word chronic a lot more in our lives. Right. Uh, but we don't, yeah, but we don't see it in the context of health. Can you talk a little bit about why you decided to put that as the subtitle? 
Well, sure. It turns out that there's an English version of the book in England. Um, it's, it's basically the exact same book, except different title. The title they used is The Mindful Body, Thinking in Our Way to Lasting Health, because they thought chronic makes people think negative things. And uh, the reason I wanted to use chronic health was to shake people up a little and to think about it and to realize, you know, lasting health is nice, but it sounds sort of like a throwaway. You know, nobody's going to stop and say, yeah, lasting health. <laughs> um, and I really uh, think that we have enough evidence that our beliefs about our health can be radically uh, changed for the better. So um, that's why I wanted to use the word chronic health. And you're, you're speaking my love language uh, because, you know, when, when someone comes to me, I'm like, okay, Alan, I want to lose 25 pounds or, Hey, Alan, I've got this, this race. I want to do this half marathon. I want to train for, and I, I want to hire you to help me do this thing. And we start the conversation. And I know as we were prepping for this, I use the term mindset so we, we can skip that, but it's basically, you got to get your head straight mm-hmm. to get your body straight. And yes. so the head leads. Right. And in all cases, now I um, did early studies on mindset back in uh, the 70s, so I, I don't object to it. But um, when we think of mindset, you th- to my mind, you're holding things still. Right. And yeah. what we want to do is release our minds in some sense so we can um, come closer to the full potential that all of us have. And, and that's right down the line of what I love, because the first thing you started talking about was rules. And, you know, we're, gosh, everybody wants that. They want that simple thing, you know, the calories in, yeah. calories out. They want the, okay, yeah. I'm going keto. So my, my grams of carbohydrates has to be below 25. And, oh, can I eat this? Is this allowed? And I just yeah. see that every day, you know, someone will be on a carnivore site and they'll be like, well, can I eat an apple? And I'm thinking to myself, you're grown, man, you can can eat an apple if you want to eat an apple. You don't have to ask people on the internet what the rules are. (laughs) I think that mindlessly following rules goes far beyond our eating and exercise behavior. Um, And I think that people don't stop and ask themselves who, in fact, another title I was going to use at one point for the book is Who Says So? You know, that rules were decisions. And for something to be a decision means there has to be uncertainty, right? Once we, you know, uh, come up with the so-called rule, we then follow it without questioning whether it's good for us or not. And you'll enjoy this, Alan. Uh, When I'm lecturing in person, I, I look around the room and see, and there's always a big guy there. And I ask him to come up. Six, five is what I'm looking for. He comes up on the stage. I'm five, three on a good day. And I just say, look at us. Should we do anything physical the same way? You know, I asked him to put his hand up. His hand is three inches larger than mine. Should we hold a golf club, a tennis racket, anything the same way? And so one of the questions we need to ask ourselves was, is, is whoever created this rule similar to us? Because the more different we are from that person, the more important it is for us not to blindly follow the rule. So, yeah. you know, example, um, so I'm a tennis player. And um, when you play tennis with me, Alan, sometimes I'm going to say, let's take three serves rather than two. Who decided to? You know, it was just an arbitrary rule that everybody follows. And so for me, I'll throw the ball up, I'll kill it. It won't go in. Now, 
with two serves, I have to, because I'm playing doubles and I don't want people to yell at me because I'm in a double fault. <laughs> I have this wuss little second serve. It always goes in and they always return it. If I ruled the world, we'd have three serves. The first one I kill, it doesn't go in. The second one I kill, but now I'm better at it because I've learned. And then I still have my follow-up serve. Now, you can imagine that if we're going to have professional tennis games or for any sport, we need to follow certain rules, but we need to understand that those rules are just conventions. So for me, I know I would be a better tennis player um, if I wrote the rules. And that's all that matters. You know, it's uh, not to take myself to task because I can't do something. And this may be a little off color, I don't know, but when I have my six foot guy, standing next to me. And I, I just asked a simple question. If we're both sitting on the same toilet, it would seem one of us is not getting our needs met. You know, so everything out there is designed with a particular person in mind. And that particular person is rarely us individually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and it's, it's the same thing for anything medical. Yeah. I was, uh, I was staying at a resort, uh, we were on vacation last month and I'm walking and the, uh, the basic cover over the table was this uh, thatch thing, but they had built a metal rim around it and mm -hmm. it was set at probably right about five and a half feet and I'm five foot 11. So, but yes. most Panamanians are, you know, they're five foot sure, five, right. they walk yeah. right under it and never even know it was there. Yeah. I kept hitting my head on stuff. You know, it's, it's just because it wasn't made for me. It was someone else's rule, someone exactly. else's thing. Yeah. Exactly. But the other thing I, where I see that pretty common is, uh, you know, people will talk about squats and they'll say, okay, your knees should not go beyond your toes. And I'm like, well, who who said Again, that? Who rule? says so? Right. Yeah, because because if your limbs if your limbs are shorter, that would actually be a true statement. Better, you, you right. can't, your knees can't go over your toes because you have shorter limbs. <laughs> you have longer limbs relative to your body shape size. Uh, your knees need to go beyond your toes or you're stopping too soon and putting stress yeah, on your knees. Yeah. So Alan, there's a larger point behind all of this, um, which is that even when the rules come from science, people need to understand that all science can give us the probabilities. Okay, which means if we were to do the exact same study again, which we could never do exactly the same, we're likely to get the same findings. Those are translated into absolutes. This is what you, you must do. Yeah. And it's in, and because of that, that we're hurting ourselves. I mean, a homey example, uh, before we get into talking about uh, health, um, I play tennis with these three women, one of whom was much better than the rest of us. Okay. Now the woman I was playing with has this wonderful sir, uh, shot down the alley. And on the other side of the court, uh, Melissa's yelling, Sarah, that's a low probability shot. <laughs> now, the, the likelihood of getting that shot across all people, across all games, which we can't compute, but even if we could, is irrelevant in some sense because it's Sarah's best shot. Yes. Right. And so we never want to give ourselves over to experts. We want to use expert opinion um, and recognize that um, it should just help guide what we do, but not determine what we do. And even when you do, it, it could be a rule, but it, your rule, but it could be your rule for the next five years. And then your or, physiology or for changes. the next five minutes. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You have to have that open mind to look right. at it and say, this is going to serve me right. maybe for a period of time, but it may not serve me all the time. And you well, have to be open yeah, to that. You know, 
part of the reason that people do this is because they think if they can hold things still, they have control over their lives. And it turns out since everything is changing, everything looks different from different perspectives. When you're holding it still, you're hurting yourself because you're not present then to, to make changes that are going to better fit your needs. Um, and uh, so I've been working on this concept of mindfulness for 45 years. And all it is, is actively noticing. And because we think we know, we don't pay any attention. But when you're actively noticing the neurons are firing and all of this research says that it's literally and figuratively enlivening. And all of this research has shown me that virtually all of us, sadly, are mindless almost all the time. We're not there. And when you're not there, you're not there to know you're not there. And so that's why I'm here today <laughs> to, in some sense, try to get people to be there. because It's so simple. But right. And what we're taking, we're taking the human brain and we're trying to overwrite some of the programming we have because we want everything to be around us just to be simple and easy. And then we don't have to focus. Well, but mindfulness. Much. No, but see, being mindful is easy and not and it allows us to be in the present. You know, everybody has this yeah. understanding. It's good to be in the moment. And that's a nice instruction, but it's empty because, again, when you're not there, you don't know you're not there. The way to be there is just notice new things. So when I lecture, I often start off with some things that everybody knows to be true. So, Alan, how much is one plus one? I would say two, but I, I know yeah. where you're going with this because it was okay. in the book, but right. go ahead. That's right. Okay. <laughs> not gonna cheat. So, one, it's fine. <laughs> one plus one is not always two. Um, one watt of chewing gum plus one watt of chewing gum is one. One pile of laundry plus one pile of laundry is one. You add one cloud to one cloud, the answer is one. So in the real world, it doesn't equal two as or more often as it does. So now let's say as soon as we're finished, you're taking a walk. This is very unlikely. But someone says to you, Alan, how much is one plus one? <laughs> so rather than mindlessly answering two, you'd pay attention to the context. And your answer would be something like, well, it could be two. And when you see, so when we recognize that we don't know, everything becomes interesting. And we're that we show up for it, essentially. And most of the things that we've learned the most basic being this one plus one, are simply wrong in many contexts. Uh, so a way of understanding mindlessness is that we're frequently in error, but rarely in doubt. And most of the limits to what we can achieve, whether it's in your domain of um, exercise and things of that sort, um, or uh, other aspects of our health, are a function, are limited by these mindsets that we took in at an earlier time. And what I, what I really like in the book, you went through some of the work that's been done about mindfulness and outcome. And, and what I liked about it was it, it really put together kind of the, the lockstep. And you, you talked about how your mindset is going to then, or your mindfulness is then going to set how you feel. About well, you see here. Yeah. yeah, so let, the let me and then the make results. that clearer. Yeah. yeah. So lots of this work is based on uh, mind-body unity. Now, uh, if we go back just a few decades, the medical world believed that it's nice if you're happy, but it's irrelevant to one's health. The only way you're going to get sick is the introduction of an antigen. Okay. Uh, now everybody knows that, well, psychology matters some. So they talk about mind-body connection. 
I'm not talking about mind-body connection. I'm talking about mind-body unity. It is one thing. If you view it that way, then wherever you put the mind, you're necessarily putting the body. So we have a host of studies where we put the mind in strange places uh, to help make the case. So the first of these was the counterclockwise study. This is a famous study. Now, isn't that obnoxious to call one's own work yeah. No, it's not. When you actually know, when you actually hear what she's well, going to say, no, no, you, no. Well, the it's reason- not obnoxious <laughs> at all. It's actually really, really cool. Well, that's sweet. But no, but the reason I feel comfortable is because if you watch The Simpsons Go to Havana, they talk about the study. So, so it's out there. You know, if The Simpsons think it's true. Yeah, if you make The Simpsons, you're, you're, right? you're really famous. Yeah. But here, here, what we did was basically retrofit a retreat, a timeless retreat to 20 years earlier. And then we had elderly men live there for a week as if they were their younger selves. So they spoke about past events as if they were just unfolding and so on. Okay, one week or less, what we found was their hearing improved, their vision improved, their memory, their strength, and they looked noticeably younger, all without any medical intervention. So then we've gone on now to to do many, many studies like this. Um, The one you mentioned to me before we started to tape, um, I think you're interested in the chambermaid study. So here... Chambermaids are exercising all day long, but they don't realize they're exercising. They think exercise is what the Surgeon General says it is, what you do after work. After work, they can't do anything. They're just too tired. So all we did was teach them, half of them, that their work is exercise. Making a bed is like working on this machine at the gym and so on. All right. They didn't eat any differently. The two groups, they weren't working any harder, less hard. They were the same on all the measures except Those who changed their mindsets and now saw themselves as exercising lost weight. There was a change in waist to hip ratio, body mass index, and their blood pressure came down. Okay, so now let's go further. We have so many of these. I'm just going to give a couple. Um, Let me give you the, the most recent, which is fun. So we inflict a wound. Now, it would have been more dramatic if I could really hurt somebody, but I didn't want to. And even if I wanted <laughs> yeah, to, wouldn't have been hopefully, <laughs> right, hopefully the human subjects committee wouldn't let me. So, but it's a wound nonetheless. And a third of the people are in front of a clock that's rigged, which unbeknownst to them. And it's going twice as fast as real time. Another group is in front of a clock that's going half as fast as real time. And for the last group, the clock is reporting real time. And the question we're asking is, would that wound, will that wound heal based on, quote, real time or perceived clock time? And the answer was clock time. We have people on sleep labs where we, they wake up, they think they got two hours more sleep than they got, two hours fewer or the amount that they got. Again, biological and cognitive functioning follow perceived amount of sleep. We have work on fatigue that's relevant to uh, your line of work. It's kind of fun. Uh, I I won't go through all the studies. Let me just uh, give an example of um, a pilot work we did here. But it all says the same thing. So we asked 100 people to do jumping jacks. Tell us when you get tired. So they tend to get tired around 70. Now we take another group of people and we say do 200 jumping jacks. They get tired at 140. Right. And you have, you know, the image that I have is somebody word processing all day and you know their back hurts and their fingers hurt. And then the uh the work day is over, they go home and they play the piano, <laughs> you know, which is essentially the same thing, but within a different context. 
And so uh, that's something that we can do for ourselves is to change the context and then you get renewed energy. There's even evidence from the animal world, which is kind of fun. Um, many, I think it was in the 50s, Frank Beach did the study where he takes a little boy rat and introduces a little girl rat and they'll copulate. And then the little boy rat needs to rest, right? a refractory period. However, half of the time what he does after this little boy rat and little girl rat go at it, he introduces another little girl rat. And now that little boy rat is ready to go. He doesn't need that refractory period. Um, so, um, you know, we can extend what we're doing far beyond uh, what we think possible. I asked my students, this is, these are Harvard kids, very smart. This is in a class on health psychology. And I say, how far is it humanly possible to run? Well, so they know that I wouldn't be asking the question of 26 miles, which is a marathon where the most you could run. So they say 35, somebody else says 40, somebody says 50, it becomes like an auction. Yeah. And they, they usually don't go beyond 50. And then I uh, put on a video of the Tariamora, uh, which is a tribe in Mexico and Copper Canyon. These people run 250 miles without stopping. Now, you know, so what happens is we have a sense of how long this thing is going to take us. We get tired around two thirds of the way there. Um, and then we act, go back to where you started as if it's impossible. The rule is, you know, you can't go beyond this and we can never know how far we can go. Um, I had uh, I was on the Division of Aging at Harvard uh, Medical School for a while. And my friend Jack Rowe, who chaired the committee, I'd call him and I said, Jack, how long does it take for a broken finger to heal? He said, I don't know. Let's say a week. I said, OK, what would you say if I could heal it in psychological means in six days? He says, OK. I said, what about five days? He said, OK. What about four days? Mm, OK. What about three days? No. I said, okay, what about three days and 23 hours? You know, where is the point? Right. And of course, when you look at it that way, so many things become possible um, that we otherwise think we just can't do. And you can never prove that you can't. All you can prove is, um, uh, is that what you tried wasn't the way to do it. Everything is impossible until somebody does it. Exactly. The four minute mile is, is just right. one perfect example of that. Until someone did it, no one was doing it. And, right. you know, it'll be the same thing when someone does, I think we're right at, but someone will break the, the two hour marathon. And right. then you're probably right. going to see yeah. a handful of people do it within right. months after. Uh, exactly. There's exactly. this belief concept. And that and limits things, us. Yeah. One of yeah. the things you got into the book, you, you were talking about just it was an experiment where you were telling someone to try something. And yeah, so this is fun to do it. Yeah. yeah. So I have I, I've always paid attention to language um, there, the subtleties. And I think lots of my colleagues can get people from point A to point B, oblivious to the fact that there's an even better point C to go. So if you say to somebody to try, it's much better for a person to try than to give up. Right. But trying has built into it failure, right? You don't try to eat an ice cream cone. You just eat it. 
So we took a word out of Yoda's page and we ran <laughs> studies where we just have one group do the task and the other group try to do it. And the doing group always outperformed the trying group. Another one of these, so, you know, there are all these words that sound like they're good, but mm, you have to be careful. Hope. Wow. She's going to attack hope. Yes. <laughs> that <laughs> hope is better than not having any hope. Again, feeling hopeless. But hope, again, has built into it the expectation of um, uh, the possibility of failure. You don't go down to your kitchen and I go downstairs, <laughs> go to your kitchen in the morning and hope you can have a cup of coffee. Right. You just expect to be able to have it. So lots of the language that we have sort of suggests that we don't think we can do it. And so we need to change some of that language. Um, a lot of the book deals with uh, real serious diseases. And um, if we take seriously the mind-body unity, then I think there are ways that we can attack these serious uh, illnesses. But one of the things we came up with was what I call attention to symptom variability. That's just a fancy way of saying be mindful. When you're mindful, you notice change. Okay, when you're given a dread diagnosis, you assume your symptoms will stay the same or they're going to get worse. But nothing moves in only one direction. So we just call you throughout the day, throughout the week, and ask you, how are you today? And is it better or worse than before? And why? When we do that, three things happen. The first is you see, hey, I'm not in great pain all the time to the same measure. So you feel a little better. Second, when you're looking around to answer the question, well, why is this time different from before? You're being mindful. And as I've already said, we have lots of data where we increase people's mindfulness and they live longer. Okay. So that I can say with a fair degree of confidence. And finally, I think you're much more likely to find a solution if you're looking for one. So now we do this with um, all sorts of populations, and we've had wonderful results with people who have MS, Parkinson's, um, arthritis, chronic pain, depression, stress. I mean, big things, right? And um, this was supposed to be my answer to a placebo. Placebos may be our strongest medicine, which is very interesting because you take this nothing and you think it's something, and then you get better. Well, it's not the pill that's making you better, so you're making yourself better. So then the question is, how can we do this ourselves? How do we take our own placebo? And we really can't, I mean, because you know, you know it's, it's nothing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so the, then I came up with this attention to symptom variability. And you don't need somebody else to call you. We, so most of us have smart uh, phones and you set the phone to ring in two hours and it rings and you ask yourself, how do I feel now? Is it better or worse than before and why? And then set it for an hour and a half later, four hours, you know, vary it. Um, and you can end up with the same results. And it is very nice because um, when people enter the medical domain, um, it's itself very stressful, which is something I also talk about in the book. There's a lot in the book about stress. But the thing that I find the most ironic, hospitals haven't changed in uh, you know almost since their inception. Now, I don't know anybody, and it may just be the people I know, uh, other than the doctors and nurses who are going into the hospital, who don't get stressed the moment they walk through that hospital door. And yeah. it turns out that stress is probably the biggest killer. 
Uh, yet the place you're going to get healed is making you stress. That's crazy. Um, but people need to recognize that stress is psychological. Stress relies on an assumption that something is going to happen. And when it happens, it's going to be awful. And you really can't predict. People are great at postdicting. That's the Monday morning quarterbacking. But going forward, I mean, if I said to you, is my internet going to go out, Alan? You say, how do you know? <laughs> if I said, what am I going to say next? Who knows? Um, what are you going to do right after this? Well, you might have a vague plan, but you really can't be sure because as you get up, you trip over something and you're going to go to the doctor. Um, yeah. You know, so when we realize that we can predict uh, and stress relies on prediction, so we can make use of that. If you yeah. say to yourself, this thing that's scaring you, what? give yourself three reasons that it might not happen. Okay, well, you went from thinking it's definitely going to happen to it might not happen. You feel better. Now comes the fun part. Ask, assume that it does happen. How is that a good thing? People don't realize that outcomes, the valence, the goodness or badness of something is totally in our head. It's not in events. And by thinking it's in, in events, that leads us to be mindless. I have to do whatever I can do to get these good things. I have to you know, run away as fast as I can from these bad things. Rather than whatever happens, there's going to be a way for me to understand it so that um, I enjoy it. Um, you know, so I, I don't have to do anything. And um, yeah, so there's a way we can control um, our reactions to the world. There's a way that we can control um, how well we perform in this world. Um, all sorts of very simple things that are not tapped. I have some one-liners that have been culled from research. Let me just share one that people might find useful. All of my friends have it on their refrigerator, <laughs> which is, Next time you get crazed, ask yourself, is it a tragedy or an inconvenience? Rarely are there tragedies. Oh, my God, I didn't finish the project. Oh, my goodness, I burnt the roast. I forgot to feed the dog, <laughs> whatever it is. You know, it, when you ask that, you immediately calm down. And then people would also realize, as Mark Twain said, most of the things we worry about never happen. So if you just reflected on the last 20 times you were stressed, and some of it, they didn't happen. Um, that would make you a little calmer dealing with whatever the present concern is. Yeah. Now, another one-liner that you had in the book that I'm, I'm actually going to probably post somewhere is instead of worrying about making the right decision, yeah. make the decision, make the decision right. right. So yeah. rather so than this, trying to come up with certainty, you try to figure this out and try, you'll spend forever because there's too right. many things. But Well, I spend a lot of time in the book uh, describing an alternative model of decision-making. You know, I, many times I find that what people are doing is just fine. And then the experts tell them they should be doing something other. And then they try to do what the experts are saying and they fail. Um, so um, I argue against, let's say, doing cost-benefit analyses. In some very real way, they make no sense. Why? Because every cost is simultaneously a benefit. You know, do you want to meet my friend Susie? Uh, she's very spontaneous. Sure. You want to meet my friend Susie? She's very impulsive. No, but spontaneous and impulsive are the same. Do you want to meet Joe? He's very inconsistent. No, get him away. Do you want to meet Joe? Um, he's very flexible. All right. So you can't just add him up and know where to go. Um, if you're thinking you should gather information, 
when do you stop? You know, th there's no yeah. rule that makes sense as to when you should stop. And each new piece could change the sense of a decision. So lots of this sort of understanding, um, hopefully, and I explain well enough for people to say, all right, I don't need to be bothered. Making decisions is stressful for most people. So I said to my students, oh, what I want you to do this whole week, don't make any decisions. Use some little rule, flip a coin, whatever the first choice is that's presented to you or that comes to mind, do that. All right. Now, and they're smart enough to know if somebody says, uh, Alan, can, the I, car. Yeah. <laughs> can I can I cut off your arm? I need an extra hand. You know, they're not going to say yeah. yes, but those aren't the decisions that most of us are making anyway. And they come back at the end of the week, again, for the next class, excited. You know, it was a stress-free a stress -free week. And that's what we can all have um, available to us. So the one line, as you said, uh, is don't waste your time. Don't worry about making the right decision. Instead, make the decision right. That means you can't know. And whatever happens, there's a way to understand it and appreciate it so that it works for you. Yeah. And and we can think we can go back and look at that decision and say, oh, well, I should have made the other decision, but we still can't know that that would have been the right decision. Exactly. That's perfect. <laughs> so many people regret the things they decide. You know, um, they regret the things they decide, which only makes sense if there was some guarantee that that other alternative would have been <laughs> glorious. But the other alternative could have been equally bad or it could have been even worse. And the most important part of it is the alternatives are nothing. It all depends on the way we organize the information. You know, um, you might think that you want to meet this beautiful uh, woman, let's say, um, and uh, marry her and live happily ever after and give her all the best qualities. Um, you know, but if you did that, you wouldn't feel very good about yourself if you're like most people, right? You'd feel inferior. So there's something that's called the Texas curse. Have you ever heard this? I haven't. No. Okay. Um, I don't know who calls it the Texas curse, but that's where I learned it. <laughs> Sorry, Texas, but <laughs> right. which is, I wish you what you wish for yourself because people don't know the very things they think they want. Um, don't always play out for them uh, the way they imagine. And um, so since you can't know in advance how you're going to feel about anything, uh, it's very hard or it's seemingly ridiculous in some sense to make a decision to bring something about when you don't know if that's going to even work for you. Yeah. One of the things you put in the book, and it, this doesn't really have a whole lot to do with health and fitness, but it was something that kind of touched me personally, was when someone's making a decision, they are doing it because it's the, you know, in their head, it makes sense to them. We don't do stuff that it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah. To now, this, so if someone you know, says something or does something and you, you feel bad about it, yeah. just realize to them, it may have been perfectly innocent, perfectly just yeah. where they were. This, you know, I, I've come up, you know, I haven't had a very long career and with many findings that I've written about in many books, this one point is probably the most important to me. So I'm so glad you mentioned it. And the idea that behavior makes sense from the perspective of the person doing the behavior or else they wouldn't do it. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, today I'm going to be Pick a puppy, um, you know? prejudiced, <laughs> clumsy, and yeah. stupid, right? So whenever we're, we're putting people down, whenever we're being evaluative, we're being mindless. 
And so use some of the examples I said before. So let's say you and I are together, uh, Alan, and I drive you crazy because I'm so gullible, which I am. Okay. Now, gullible, you'll want to change me. I'll try to change. I won't be able to. But that's because from my perspective, what I'm being is trusting. And when you recognize I'm trying, that's kind of nice. You no longer want to change me. Right. The only way you're going to change somebody is if you can persuade them not to do the positive version of whatever they're doing is nobody is drinking to hurt their liver. Nobody is smoking to give themselves cancer. Nobody is not exercising because they want to get flabby. You know, so why are they doing what they're doing? And then we end up with more respect for people. And it helps our relationships. And then we need to do this for ourselves. We need to know why we're making the choice that we're making so that at a later time, if it doesn't feel right, we don't take ourselves to task. You know, I didn't go to the party. Everybody went to the party. I didn't go. Why? Because I was just too tired. And I really felt it was best for me, for my mental health, physical health, for me to just relax and stay home by myself. Okay, and nurture myself, eat a bowl of ice cream or that apple, whatever it was you were talking about before. So then you find out that uh, something very exciting and important happened at that party. Well, if you know why you stayed home, you're not going to regret uh, having stayed home. Most of us are doing what we're doing mindlessly so that when someone presents some other alternatives, oh, gosh, I should have been there. You know, uh, so if we know why we're doing what we're doing, we're going to have more respect for ourselves and um, satisfied with whatever the outcomes are that uh, that we experience. Dr. Langer, I define wellness as being the fittest, healthiest and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? I think um, most important is to be mindful. And what that means is that we don't assume we know, um, and then everything becomes new and exciting. And when you're actively noticing these things about things you thought familiar, the neurons are firing, and it's literally and figuratively enlivening. The second thing we had just mentioned is to recognize that every time you're being judgmental, you're being mindless, because that behavior makes sense from the other person's perspective, or else they wouldn't do it. And I think since in the world today, people are suffering enormously because of stress, uh, that what I've said already, I think needs to be um, echoed now, which is that stress is a function of the views you take of an event. If you open it up and mindlessly understand it from many perspectives, that stress dissipates. People in this world mistakenly, because they're led by many experts and whatever, um, uh, uh, to believe that stress is necessary, you know, um, and uh, I, I don't think so. I think one can live perhaps not an entirely stress-filled life, but more or less um, wake up in the morning, welcome the day, be pleased, whatever is going to occur, wherever you're going to be, you're going to see things, become engaged in them. And uh, that brings the satisfaction we all seek. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Langer, if someone wanted to learn more about you and learn more about your book, The Mindful Body, where would you like for me to send them? Um, Well, 
for the mindful body thinking our way to chronic health they can go to their bookstore uh they can get it online um, the book is published by random house they can go to random house i have a website um ellenlanger.me if you mistakenly put ellenlanger.com it takes you there also um and as far as information about me <clears throat> Where can you get that? I think if you just put my name on the internet, lots of talks and what have you will, will come up. But they should, I think people will enjoy the book. The thing that we didn't say, uh, no reason why you should have, but it started as a memoir. And so there are lots of very personal stories. So in just reading the book, yeah. you'll have a sense of, of who I am. Um, in fact, this whole mind-body unity idea came from early experience. I was married when I was very young. I was 19. And I was 19 well, going on technically, <laughs> you told the story. I know. But go ahead. Okay. You know, this part. Well, this married again. We won't yeah. go there. They have to read to find out the 16-year-old yeah. one. Okay. But we go to Paris on our honeymoon. And I we're in a restaurant. And I order a mixed grill. And my then husband was much more worldly than I. And I said, which of these is uh, the pancreas, which was supposed to be part of the mixed grill. And he pointed to something. Well, the question was, could I get myself now that I'm a sophisticated married woman to eat the pancreas? So I eat everything with gusto. Now comes the moment of truth. And I, I set this up for myself where I had to eat it. Because otherwise, you know, I wasn't sophisticated. Okay. Um, I start eating it and I literally, literally get sick to my stomach. He starts laughing. I say, why are you laughing? He said, because that's chicken. You ate the pancreas a while ago. <laughs> okay. So I saw that I could make myself sick. And most of this book is about how to make yourself well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. My pleasure. Thank you, Ellen. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Ellen. You know, mindset or mindfulness is one of my favorite topics. And as a runner, we have this really funny saying that running is about 90% mental and the other half is physical. <laughs> and clearly the math doesn't add up there, but um, obviously mindset or mindfulness does play a huge role in running, but as well as our other health and fitness endeavors. Yeah, I, I I think it's easy to, to kind of lose the concepts because we um we often think of our mind as being this entity inside of, of the physical body, mm -hmm. and then you know there's of course there's religious connotations and everything else about how that can then be severed and be two separate things. Mm -hmm. You know, can I put my mind in somebody else's body? Um, through whatever function, or can my mind leave my body and come back? And, you know, of course, people have different belief systems. Um, the principle here of what uh, science is currently saying is that they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. we're, we're the same entity. Uh, the mind is not really separate from the body. Uh, but it's something that I, I often tell my clients is where the mind goes, the body will go. Mm -hmm. Too often we think, okay, well, we're going to do this. That's why I was really, you know, some of the stuff that she's done, uh, you know, you, you think about fatigue. If someone's just going to feel fatigue based on what they think, how many they've got to do, uh, that kind of gives you an idea of how false body fatigue might be. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think I, I'm going to, I've got to run six miles and I start feeling tired at four mm -hmm. versus I've got to run 10 miles and I start feeling tired at seven. 
Um, there's no fundamental reason why you were able to run a lot more than six miles without feeling that fatigue, other than you had kind of set in your head that there was an end point and a point where you should probably be getting tired. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we do, we, we trick ourselves, if you will, into believing certain things. Right. And the reality is if we took the time to say, no, I've trained. Right. I know I can easily run eight miles without really being tired. There's no reason I can't run 10. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's going to be really hard because our, our brain is very stubborn. Mm -hmm. But if you really kind of get your mind right and say, look, I know what I'm capable of. I know that I'm stronger than this. I know that mm -hmm. I'm able to do this. Um, you you can't. Right. Well, along those lines, um, you both discussed the who who said so, who makes up these <laughs> rules. And and I love that because, you know, there are people out there that that you you hear something and it sticks with you. So I could never run a 5K or I could never do this or I could never lift my body weight in the gym. Well, who says so? Like, how did you get to that conclusion without trying or experimenting or at least giving it an effort? I mean, we are so self-limiting with what we believe. And it, and it's important to really take that who says so mentality is like, wait a minute, like make another choice here. What else, what could be possible if you give yourself yeah. some grace? Well, you know, if you tell yourself you can't do pull-ups. Done. Yeah, Decision you made. You're right. You know, this is forward stuff here. You know, if you think you can, you can. You think you can't, you're right. You're right either yeah. way. Right. So yeah. the basic gist is at least know that, okay, you may not be as strong as you need to be to do as many pull-ups, but you can get there. Um, mm -hmm. And you just have to put in the effort and and want it bad enough and then convince yourself that, one, first, it's possible. Yes. Yes. And then once you get past possible, then yes. you got to get to, okay, I'm working. Now it's probable. Mm -hmm. And then it's real. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a step in there, but it, it takes the work in between. You know, this rules thing is just hilarious because, <laughs> I mean, no, I just the funniest rules. It's like, you know, I'll, there'll be someone on Facebook in a carnivore group. And they're mm -hmm. like, you know, I really, really, really want to put some barbecue sauce on this. Can mm -hmm. I do that? And people are like, no. <laughs> My God, mm -hmm. why would you put barbecue sauce on something? Well, it's, it's actually delicious. But, um, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but no, it's like, no, because that's not meat. Mm -hmm. That's vegetables and sugar and other crappy stuff you shouldn't be eating. Mm -hmm. And again, not, not true. Right. I mean, it is not meat, uh, right. but guess what? There's no carnivore police. Right. They're not going to come bust you and send you to jail. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a prison term for barbecue sauce on your whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, or hot sauce on your eggs or, or whatever, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, if, if, if you enjoy it and it's not hurting you, keep doing it. Don't worry right. about these rules. Um, and then the other side of it, there is a place where rules actually make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know, okay, I've eaten ice cream for dinner the last three days because I had ice cream in the refrigerator, the freezer. Well, maybe you need a rule about having ice cream in the freezer. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. If you know you're going to try, you're going to end up eating it for dinner. You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're an adult. If you want ice cream for dinner, then have ice cream for dinner. But if you know it's not serving you, then you may need a rule. 
at least mm-hmm. a temporary rule to get right. you through that. Um, but not all rules need to be that solid because right. you may say, you know, I'm going to avoid alcohol this month and that's noble. But if your friend calls you up and they're going through like this terrible breakup and they say, I really just want to go have a couple drinks with you and talk. Can we do that? Mm-hmm. Are, are you going to look at your rule and say, oh, can't, can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> of um, course not. Reminds me, there's a, there was a movie called The Jerk. Uh, Steve Martin. I don't know. Did you see mm-hmm. that? A long anyway, time ago. Yes. Long, long time. I watch it all the time. I love that movie. <laughs> One of my favorites. But so, so this dude's shooting at him and he's running from him mm-hmm. and uh, he gets away from him by driving into um, a circus area. So basically the circus was in this fairgrounds area and he drove his car into that area. The guy who was shooting at him pulls up and sees the sign. It says carnival personnel only. Mm-hmm. And so he's losing his mind. He's like, he's not carnival personnel. He's not, you know, and so he had no problem killing a guy, but he wouldn't cross the, the barrier <laughs> because the sign <laughs> oh said, here's the rule. Mm-hmm. It's that ridiculous sometimes, though. If you're yeah. setting rules that are ridiculous that you know you can't follow, then, right. then don't. Don't set right. yourself up for failure. But. If there are some simple rules that are going to help you be successful, by all means, implement some rules. We're all going to deal with structure and rules a little bit differently. Some people are rebels and they set a rule. They're not going to follow it because it's a rule. And then other people (laughs) are very much rules-based people that say, Mm -hmm. if I set a rule, you know, and, and the rule can be as simple as after my race, I have one beer. Sure. That's my rule. I have a rule when I go out with my friends, I do not do shots. Good rule. I've never seen anything good come about doing shots. (laughs) And so I just don't, you know, and Mm -hmm. and people still offer them to me and I still say no. My wife knows that I'm going to say no. Uh, If I do accept a shot from you, it means I'm going to give it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take a shot. And so it's just a rule. It is a rule. And it's a rule that I can live with. And it's a rule that I've had for a while. And it's a rule that Mm -hmm. I follow. But in general, when you hear a rule about food, Mm -hmm. okay, look at it from a reasonableist perspective. Mm -hmm. And then uh, does it fit my needs? Right. Does it serve? Does this rule serve me? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, then then there's something else. You may have a different rule or you may not have a rule at all. But That's at least at that point, you've evaluated it from a reasonableist mm-hmm. perspective and from a does it fit me perspective to know, like, I couldn't be a vegan. <laughs> right. You know, I just couldn't. You said, there's, oh, all you can have are vegetables. Uh it's not <laughs> not know? for me. But, it's just not yep. going to work, right? And and you know, I don't poo-poo the people who can and do exactly. You know, exactly. and have your rules, and if they serve you, then please. It's the same thing with mm-hmm. carnivores. I you know, I've tried to do carnivore, but I'm sorry, but some vegetables are just delicious. Sure. You know, uh, I don't think a pickle is going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I can sit down and have some vegetables. Now, when I'm keto, do I stay keto? No. Sometimes I say it's just not fitting my lifestyle right now. So Mm -hmm. there are rules for keto that work very well for me for periods Mm -hmm. of time. And then I'm like, okay, I'm past that. Um, 
I want a beer or I want this or I want that, mm-hmm. I'm off. I don't care. Um, but I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I know what mm-hmm. serves me and what doesn't. So I'm picking and choosing my rules. Um, you know, with with what um, she's doing here, Dr. Langer, is a little different in that she's wanting to be intuitive in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I'm not a moderator. Uh, I uh-huh. don't do moderation well. I don't do in the moment decisions all that well. Mm-hmm. So it helps for me to have some structure of rules with enough flexibility for, for me to live the lifestyle that I need to live. I like rules. I'm a rule follower too. So I can set a hard and fast rule. But like you had said earlier, it's there's not a problem to have it temporary or have it flexible based on what's going on in your life or based on your goals. And and having rules is also interesting in that you and I both are obviously very physically different people. You know, I'm a little lighter than you might be. I might have, yeah. you have probably more you body or muscle. <laughs> <laughs> You've got more muscle mass than I have. And we're different ages, although we're very close in age. But I mean, you could go on the list. So like what she was saying, like who says so? Well, who came up with these rules in the first place? And how do they apply to different people? And how do they apply to where you are in your stage of life right now? So like I said earlier, I ran um, about 48 miles over the weekend. So you could probably imagine that I'm eating a ton of food. I'm drinking a ton of water and electrolytes to resupply what I just spent over the weekend, what I ate on the race was even different from what I ate during my day-to-day lifestyle. So, you know, like there's a time and a place for all these different activities and what we eat and how we rest and what we do. And, and, and you just need to be cognizant that, you know, temporary, flexible rules are rules, but there's a time and a place and they got to suit you. They're not for everybody. What I did over the weekend is not for everybody. Yeah, I, you know, it would literally probably take me about a month to to run that far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing how much you walk, I doubt that. But well, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I could, see that's I could, different. I could walk it in a few days. But uh, mm-hmm. that's the whole point. Exactly. You know. But we're all different. But but going back to the mindfulness and the mindset is just it's self limiting beliefs are really prevalent, and we can accomplish the things that we set to if we set our mind to do just that. And, and that that's the beauty of being mindful of, of what you're doing day to day is, is just take a second and reevaluate what your thoughts are. You know, just cause I can do something or can't do something. It's not always right. Absolutely. Um, so before we sign off, I just wanted to remind folks that we are doing the crush the holidays challenge again starting November 20th. So you've got just less than a week uh, when this comes out. So you got a little less than a week to sign up for it. You can go to 40plusfitness.com forward slash crush. And this year I've got some special little surprises and things we're going to do during the 35 days of this challenge uh, to include. And if you enjoyed this on our Facebook group, uh, we're going to do some bingo as a part of the Crush the Holidays Challenge. Now, this cool. won't be in the main group. This is just for the folks that are going through Crush the Holidays. Uh, a lot of you had so much fun doing it with the main group, uh, but this is just going to be a little side one that we're going to do as a part of the Crush the Holidays. And there's going to be a lot more fun, a lot more challenges, a lot more things involved 
so come join us. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to uh, stay engaged with your health and fitness goals throughout the holidays, which is a time when many of us lose our way, uh, either mm-hmm. because it's eating season or because our our whole process, our whole lives are just a little disrupted by the different schedules and all the stuff that's going on. So this is just an opportunity for you to regain and maintain that focus throughout this season. Uh, so you can, of course, crush the holidays. So go to 40 plusfitnesscom forward slash crush. Awesome. Sounds great. All right. Well, Raz, I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss the five enemies of health and fitness change. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.